Oh, it's been a while since I've been here behind the mic, uh, doing a Saberland. Let me just make sure my little, little, little levels are looking good. Um, I think, yeah, I think we're, I think we're, I, 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 I think we're good. Sorry, I was intentionally doing that. So, yeah, here we are. It's, uh, almost the end of July. It is, well, it's nearing, rapidly approaching the end of July, as opposed to all other times of the month where we're not so rapidly approaching it but uh yeah here we are and uh it's been a while since i've done an episode i think i think my last episode i kind of remember feeling like this weird uh compunction to do it and uh i don't and i just feeling like it's you know i should do an episode because i haven't in a while and um and yet i was i what was yeah i remember being in a really weird mood um, because I thought, uh, yeah, what was going on then? I remember feeling like I wasn't sure that I wanted to like talk about my life, but I didn't, there's nearly nothing I wasn't that I was avoiding saying. It was, it was kind of strange. I remember it, it was a strange time in Saberland history. Um, one, no doubt that the scholars will someday return to and ponder and debate. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, but I feel like this is, I've, I'm, I've since then been on a vacation. Pro- almost nothing has hop- happened in the hockey world, and that's okay. Um, because here we are, and here I am, and here you are, wherever that is. And, and uh, just going to do another episode. So we'll see how much hockey there is. Um, but by the sound of my snapping Brooklyn summer lager pint, Actually, it's not a lager, it's an ale. Ale. Um, by that sound, that is the herald of the beginning of this episode. And uh, once we find the bottom of this can, we, we shall see this episode ended. So, uh, welcome. And I suppose I think this is episode 14, also known as a uh, drunken baker's dozen. And uh, here we go. Unforgettable. That is the theme song of Saberland, composed and performed on the spot in Garage Band, uh, nigh this past summer. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a thing I made in Garage Band. Um, I think I, I remember. Yeah, I definitely talked about it at one point, saying uh, something like, um, "Well, because I was when I when I settled on Saberland as the name for this show." I just started singing the words the Saberland podcast, and that's a little melody sort of emerged from that. Um, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's exactly how Sondheim works. Um, I'll have to check the facts. Um, somebody can check that for me, but uh, I'm going to say that it's how Sondheim works. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, uh, I uh, just sort of messed around. I've, I've I've been a lifelong garage bander. Um, well, 
the life of GarageBand. For the life of GarageBand, I've been a, an ardent fan. I used to just put songs together with loops that pre-existed. And then um, upon moving here uh, to New York, I sort of... And, and the first instance of the or iteration of the Adam and Gordon Show podcast, um, I uh, we needed to have some, like, a score for the Black Widow season one, um, which I'll get to, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that, because I, bec- well, yeah, um, well, first, before I even get into this, yeah, one of the reasons I've been a little distracted from doing more of these, I mean, of course, it's the summer, but I haven't thought about doing another Saberland because I've been hard at work slaving away at ye old garage band, um, scoring season two of the Black Widows, and actually, I think we're going to release that, like, tomorrow or Friday, which will be very cool to finish a thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, anyway, so when I moved here and we were first doing season one, we were like, well, who's going to score this thing? Because it's, uh, you know, it needs some music. It's, it's, uh, it's an audio drama, um, but it's really, we've always, I mean, Adam and I, I think, have always, to at least, well, I've always understood, and, and I think Adam would, agrees, that these radio plays we're doing are, they're not, they're not re- pu- real audio dramas in the sense that a radio, you know, radio, classic radio drama style, um, we're, we're inspired by that, you know, the old sort of Orson Welles era, or, um, uh, was it Jack Benny used to do a lot of those too? I think, yeah, it's just, it's the classic in the BBC still does, um, radio drama, but really that art, that form is not really what we do. What we do is create a movie that just is never shot. We just, we record the audio, the soundtrack, I mean, we re- sorry, we record the voices and do our best to put in effects and then create a score. Well, I have done the score, um, with some limitations because you because there's no image to grab someone's attent one's attention, um, the music can't be that. You know, it's it's you, you can't be doing the Star Wars or Indiana Jones theme in the background because it'd be distracting. Because all that one has to go on is the words, and uh, a, a snappy score would be uh, would kind of pull the rug out from under the whole point because you wouldn't end up listening to anything, and then you'd just be listening like. Maybe you'd walk out humming a tune, but you had no idea what just happened. Walk, I don't know why, I don't know why a person would be walking out of a podcast because you don't have to walk in in the first place. Um, well, of course, the other, of course, the real reason that that the scores that we have in you know our different podcasts are not so hummable, with one exception, the College Baby theme, I think, is quite hummable. Um, the real reason is because I'm just it's this this the severe limitations of me as a composer. Um, but that's okay because it's actually this is I'm suited to this because I you know it's not you can't do much more than just sort of some you know mood setting stuff and very minimal themes um, or or motifs is really a better word for it uh, in the Wagnerian sense because there's not uh, yeah you can't even do there's not enough time or or really um, you don't there's not enough sort of attention capital to be withdrawing from. Um, that is kind of within this whole pro- endeavor that you, you really can't, you can't invest that much in, in the score or even the sound effects. Those need to be just enough to carry the, carry the story. Um, and so, uh, at any rate, I've been working hard at that, uh, these past few weeks and we're almost ready to release. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. And, uh, and again, there's not too much going on in the hockey world, um, but uh, that's okay because it's all the hockey off season is also about things coming together. 
whether it's a team or um, a team or um, another team or a podcast. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all right. Cause I sort of had like initial burst of Saberlands in the first months or so. Cause it's, it's exciting. It's very fun to sit here at this mic and just, and just talk. Um, I think I, well, I don't know if I'm good at it in the, I don't know if I'm good in the sense of this turning into like a good podcast that anyone will ever find interesting. Um, and I mean, we'll see. I mean, I feel like, uh, I think Adam the other day said to me, like, he was like, well, you know, it's, it'll be good uh, be, that when when the season comes around because there will be like a backlog of episodes which shows some modicum of legitimacy, um, I'm paraphrasing. And uh, and I was like, yeah, I hope so. Because um, it's not like I'm going to have any like, you know, Twitter followers or stuff or, or, or whatever to, to, to like make people find me that legitimate in that sense. But um, but we'll see. I mean, I, but I'm not really, I don't, I, mean, I, mean, I don't care if anyone, I mean, I don't know who's ever going to listen to this or, or how, it's not like I'm trying to take over the sabers podcast sphere or whatever um but i'm certainly not interested or don't care about that in the off season because no one's looking who, who wants to find a hockey podcast in july or august um no one but i like doing them because it's all kind of a good practice and so um so yeah so it's 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 good that i can sort of um yeah we were finishing the recording of black widows kind of you know, in like May and June. And we literally, we literally just wrapped recording over the weekend. Um, the last person got their last stuff in for the final episodes of the season. So we've got it all in the can. Most of the episodes are rough, roughly edited in shape. Um, and we've actually got up through like four or five. Now four, the first four are basically done. Um, but not, I mean, not officially locked yet. So one, I think one is locked because that's coming out this week. Um, so that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, it's funny how, you know, in the, 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 the I'm just thinking now, like it's because, because, so yeah, I will end up, I will have to talk about, about scoring here because um, I've been, I mean, I've basically, if I could have, if we had done this podcast exactly 10 years ago when I was, 19 well maybe maybe a little maybe a little more than that let's say 13 or 14 years ago when i was in high school and really the one of the first things i truly latched on to as uh and and felt like i was had a sense of self um in the in the sense of really being like this is who i am and this is a thing that i know that i like and i'm proud of it um it was my sort of discovery of you know the film score is an intentional thing that affected it 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 both it's it's uh yeah it it uh it 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 informed it, it a good, so a film score informs you the viewer of what to feel in any moment which is a tremendously interesting thing because it's so life think how easy life would be if there was just always music playing if john williams was just always behind you madly composing and conducting uh in live <laughs> You know, live. If if John Williams just was live scoring your your life, um, or whomever you prefer as a as a composer, um, but how 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 simple everything would be if you just knew who the bad people were, who the good people were, where the you know where the you know if suddenly you you know like the moment in <laughs> yeah, I mean just like the the moment in in Raiders when like. Uh, when the two professors show up and, and open the big dusty book and blow off, blow the dust off the page and it reveals like a picture of the Ark. And then you suddenly, you hear for the first time the, uh, um, 
that or that that theme uh that we uh, we hear in the in the in the map room and then um mostly in the uh did i even hum that right i i, I didn't even do it all right um oh I, you know what i was actually <laughs> i was nah, i didn't do that i didn't hum that right but it was the um the theme that is later heard in the you know in the in the finale when they're when Marion and, and and Indy are tied to the post and um it's the big it's the big big version of it but um it's uh yeah so anyway at any rate um that's a that's a it's a simple thing but like if you the point is that first scene when Indy's still in his like boring professor mode and the two guys show him this like the, the the arc and we hear the theme come and it's like it's as if the picture is is of course is speaking to Indy and of course it's telling us the audience well this is the beginning of the plot this is the magical thing that you're seeing and you need to pay attention because this is interesting and it's gonna it's you know the music itself is luring us in just as Indy is being brought into the story and saying and he realizes this is the the Ark of the Covenant and it shows the fire you know burning through the there's the there's the beam of light going through the guy um and Indy's talking about how it just rains fire and kills people and all that stuff. So imagine if in your life when you came across something and you could see... Um, imagine how easy it would be to be Jason Botterill if you're just kind of scrolling through... I don't know how, I don't know how the mechanics of trading work in the NHL, but I love to think that, like... Um, I would love to think that someone could set up that the general managers of in the NHL have like a hockey Tinder, but they create profiles for players they're willing to trade, and then the only people who actually can can swipe are like other GMs. So like so probably that would stand to reason that earlier this summer, um, Bontrell swiped right on Jason Pominville and matched with uh, Cliff Fletcher, and set, and who was who also swiped right on like NS or Felino or whatever. Um, or, or Montreal swiped right on, um, <laughs> uh, Scandella. And then, uh, and then they, you know, then they made a deal. Uh, they just sort of back, back and taxi back and forth, you know, like you up. Yeah. You, um, and send some emojis and things. And, uh, and the rest is history. Um, but imagine if, uh, if on hockey GM Tinder, um, when Jason Brochel was up at like 11 PM on a Friday night swiping, <laughs> If he came across the picture of Scandella, and there was John Williams in the, in the corner, slow, like just gleefully composing and conducting our London Symphony, London Philharmonic Orchestra, and and playing the sort of uh, the medallion theme um, as the uh, as 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 the little as you know think of picture Jason Bontrell's face illuminated by the blue, the incandescent glow of his iPhone 6s um, in his downtown buffalo apartment and he sees and suddenly the little this the marco scandela's uh like card comes across on hockey tinder and then uh, and he just knows he's like oh this is it i found it and he swipes right and he matches and then we make a deal so <laughs> imagine though how easy life would be if you just had an orchestra telling you what to feel at all times now that's obviously not the case that's why life is interesting and difficult because you don't know those things but i've always loved film scores because it tells you that and um listened to when listened to outside the context of the film for which they were created um let's just even say you listen to raiders in fact i listened to the raiders score while writing the scripts for black widows too because i wanted that sort of sense of adventure 
Um, whereas Black Widow's one, I listen to a lot. I listen to the Mist soundtrack, which is all which I even talked about last time because I quote the Mist score uh, a little bit. Um, the, in fact, the first three notes of the Mist soundtrack, um, which is actually that's basically what I just hummed back then. I was thinking of something else, but it's similar. It's a, similar to parts of the Raider score and and actually parts of the uh, the Ring theme. Actually, that's even a bit. That's the best example yet. Is the um, the ring motif from Fellowship, or all, all Lord of the Rings, but of course in Fellowship, that's where you most you hear it in its best form because it kind of mutates a little bit and gets a little more sinister and different in Tower Twin Two Towers and Return of the King. Like when you hear the when when Gandalf. Okay, so the ring theme, in, in case you is is it literally it's what it's the first recognizable piece of music that is heard in all of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's the thing <laughs> that you hear over when it says Lord of the Rings and fades in after Galadriel says her little things at the top of the movie. And then you hear that again, um, most notably, um, you know, a couple scenes into Fellowship when Gandalf comes back from... Uh, yeah, he comes back. So it's after Bilbo's party, and Gandalf sees Bilbo use the ring and disappear, and Gandalf thinks, and this is interesting. So he rides off to Minas Tirith, does some research, realizes that it's the One Ring of Power, comes back to the Shire, throws the ring into the fire, burns and reads the, reads the stuff, or reads the, uh, the black speech written, or the tongue, which is that of Mordor, and there are few who can speak it. Um, and he, he, he reads that. And then, so there's a scene where Gandalf and Bilbo are sitting in the kitchen, and... Uh, Gandalf is talking about how Sauron is the most evil force, and he's gonna he needs to be destroyed, and we have to take the ring to to uh, El Elin, um, uh, Elrond. Sorry, I was about to say Ellen Deal, which is not correct, but Elrond. And uh, so Gandalf is this great shot where it's it's we're we're, we're um, one of the best things about Peter Jackson has a lot of flaws as a director, but he chooses great angles to shoot his his actors. So there's a scene. Um, also notable in that scenes in the in Bilbo's kitchen, it's all forced perspective, those sets, which is cool. But there's a shot of Ian McKellen as Gandalf sitting, and he's sort of hunched over the table, looking kind of towards his left, and the camera is like at his, it would be his like eight o'clock. So it's a great angle, and Ian McKellen sort of looking across this great bridge of his of Gandalf's nose, and kind of almost over him, almost hiding behind his beard, um, but still being this you know old wizard and says he says to Frodo, you know, he's he's seeking it, seeking it all his thought is bent on it. And then suddenly the ring speaks and Gandalf's eyes shoot down and there's like and just the orchestra the, the it's just the violins, very high that just this pu- sweet, evil alluring theme of the ring. Um and then, you know, and and later as the movies go on, um, well, later in Fellowship, when they get to the, um, the Argonath, very late, and it's those two big kings with their hands sticking out on that river, that is a big sweeping statement where the whole orchestra, um, all the strings are doing this big, beautiful, and it sounds, you know, the ri- it's evocative of the river that they're riding on, and the sort of inevitability of the evil of the ring is conveyed through the way, the orchestration at that moment. And then, of course, um, in Two Towers, it's the same ring theme, but it's a little bit off. And then in Return of the King, it's like really weird because it starts in a flashback with, with um, Smeagol and the form how he became Gollum. And anyway, uh, that's it's like a it's that theme is also in the storytelling of of the movies. It's used to, you know, just in the the, the way that the, that theme is presented throughout the films evolves at, uh, as as fitting to the um, what's going on in the story. Um, so 
in that respect, uh, that's another way in which the music can, can, again, can help tell you what's going on, as well as, you know, the, the, the content of, this, of the music, which is the, the notes themselves always tell you, there's something seductive about this, but kind of dangerous. Um, and yet the orchestration says, well, at this point in the story, you know, since we've already established the, 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 this kind of more, yes, dangerous, but just sort of far away versions of this, it's, um, now we're actually in it, and uh, that develops. And same thing happens in the Raiders thing with the uh, the theme of the Ark or, or and or the medallion. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of used similarly. Um, and I've always loved that. Uh, I've always loved just how film scores can do all these things. They can tell you they they just they can guide you through a movie completely. And when you listen to them outside the context of their own film, as I was saying. Um, It'll, it can just it can be just as good as re rewatching it or or even just imagining what other sorts of things might be going on that would that would you know whatever could be evoked by the sort of adventure adventuresome or, or or interesting somehow music and so as I was getting into before if I if we could have done this exact podcast you know let's just say 13 years ago it was 16 it would be 16 years old. And I would, and if we had asked me, or if I could ask myself then what, you know, what sort of job would I ever want, even if I knew I couldn't do it. Um, and, there, and, and the only reason I did, couldn't do it is just because, well, there really is no reason, but, well, want, a job that one might want is, is an interest, is, is, there's, there, there's some very, there's some flexibility in that. But let's just say it's a job that I would love to do, but actually don't really think I will do, but would love to be able to do. And that would be being a film composer. I would love to be able to be John Williams and write those big, just write, write that, write, be in command of a big orchestra and write a, just a massive score for a huge film or series of films with themes and, you know, just do, do a Star Wars and contribute something like that to history. Um, and I can't, I probably won't do that in my life to be, to be, that's, that's probably an accurate statement. Well, it, it is accurate that I probably won't. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't want to do it because I've thought, I basically thought about what it is that a composer can contribute to the, what is it that a composer with respect to film can, can, invest to that sort of interest capital that I, I kind of like that phrase that I, I said earlier. So in a good film, all the, if, if as many of the discrete jobs that, you know, and people that work on the film, if they all do a good, good job, um, um, they all can contribute to the sort of capital, uh, interest capital that will be, that can be raised by the audience. Um, now, obviously those are, there are different levels of who can do what and who can, you know, if, if done right, music, I mean, Star Wars would be great no matter what, but think about how much it's just like, I mean, every, that's, that's kind of the perfect storm of, of these things, but, but, but like, can you even imagine with a different composer, like, I mean, what if, I mean, it still would have been cool if, um, I mean, what's another contemporary composer from the 70s? Like, it would have been cool if Elmer Golds, um, Elmer Bernstein, Elmer Goldsmith, Jerry Goldsmith, but I don't even know if, if Jerry Goldsmith, if Elmer Bernstein had done Star Wars, um, 
or Bernard Herman. I think he was he was dead by then. But let's just say, yeah, I think if you know if Elmer had done that, it would have been, and he might have been dead too. If that would have been probably cool, but not the same. I mean, it wouldn't. It just it's just it's not. It wouldn't be what John Williams did with it. Um. No, whatever. That's that's that's. I, I mean, I don't know. The point is that the actual music that ended up in Star Wars makes it about to me about a thousand times better than it otherwise might have been. I mean, it's also possible that another composer might have done an even better job. I mean, I doubt that, but it's possible. Um, but the point is, um, all those things converged magically, harmonically. Um, one might even say for Star for Star Wars, and it all became this magical thing. Um, but uh you know so i've but what does a what does a composer really do well they they can add to the let's just call it the magic that is possible when experiencing a, a film um and so when i'm and and, and i and i thought about all the ways they do that i think about you know when you watch a movie when do you choose to come in um do you come in hot all of a sudden with a big sting um almost like carl stalling uh esque um he of old uh, Bugs Bunny fame, like Looney Tunes. Um, and, and are you in that style? Or are you just doing sort of sound effects music? John Williams does a lot of that, actually, if you listen to, aside from the famous parts of like the Jurassic Park, in fact, a lot of John Williams scores is basically is basically sound effects, which is part of, I would argue, is part of the, another part of his genius. But like uh, the Jurassic Park score, maybe it's also because he was doing like 10 movies at once. Like he, he was also doing Schindler's List, which is not sound effects music. Um, but Jurassic Park is like, you know, some of those, I think it's the, I think the cue on the soundtrack or the cut is called like Raptor Attack and it's just sound effects, but it's great. It's great music. Um, and then of course there's the big, the, the Jurassic Park theme, which is just magnificent. Um, but that's all, you know, that's all that movie you really needed. Um, whereas like Star Wars is, well, the new Star Wars, the, the, well, the, let's see, the original trilogy, mostly kind of melodic um, somewhat, you know, soundscapey, but not really. It's mostly, you know, melodious stuff. Um, the newer, the, the newer trilogy, the, you know, the prequel trilogy, um, kind of a blend because some of it's pretty, uh, fairly sound effectsy. And then the new one, uh, it's okay. It's back to, it's, it's, it's kind of a blend still, but, um, so, but anyway, so, but then, you know, I, I, I like thinking about, you know, when, how do you do it? And when do you, when do you choose to come in? Do you, to certain lines of dialogue, should they be, should there be silence underneath? Should there be something going on or should there be a lot going on? I mean, you know, I don't know. Um, it depends on the movie. But over the course of these, you know, 13 years between this imagined conversation, in this, in, that spanned this imagined conversation with my younger self, I've thought of, I spent a great deal of time thinking about these sorts of things and paying attention to it and trying to learn from it. So now that I'm in the position to be doing some of this stuff, it's, uh, I've never, I'm, you know, in terms of, com I, I could not watch, I couldn't, well, there is no footage to sit down and write to, but I couldn't do that. I couldn't, like, cause I, if I, if I got a job somehow as a composer for a short film, um, I wouldn't be able to, to, to sit and watch the footage and say, hmm, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, B sharp, B sharp, and, uh, you know, G flat, um, actually that would be a real note, but uh, no one calls it G flat. B sharp and, um, uh, what else would there be? E sharp and no. Um, but I couldn't write, I couldn't write down the score by hand. I can't do that. But in GarageBand, I can, I can sort of, 
I can listen along to my to the to the rough cuts of the podcast and just sort of play some notes and play some things on my little MIDI keyboard that I bought. And I've done it enough times now that I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, I would say, um, but I can't, and I can come up with some melodies. I and mean, I think the college baby theme is an example. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to put baby days at the end of this episode because I'm proud of it and I don't care who else, I don't care who knows it. Um, and someday I will do a podcast where I just, I just talk about the college baby soundtrack. Cause I listened to some cuts the other day and I am, I am more proud of the po- college baby score than anything I've ever done in my life because I never thought I could do something like that. Um, I mean, the scripts, it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of not true because the scripts that, that we have in the Adam, Adam and Gordon show are truly the things I'm most proud of, but, but in an, in a, in a, in a, in a separate but equal way, the college baby soundtrack is the, is the thing I'm most re like, like surprisingly proud of just mostly because I just, I, I always wanted to do something like that and never thought I could, um, and uh, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty proud of it. Um, and I learned, and I taught myself a lot of tricks in GarageBand to make that sound better than like the Sheriff Death score and the uh, Widow Season 1 score. So n- now that we're back in Widow Season 2, it's a li- it's, it's simpler in a sense than, it's kind of simpler in terms of the, the music is not quite as complicated as College Baby, but it is still tricky to, to score this stuff because... Because each episode is contain it's it's episodic as opposed to College Baby, which was just a long a series of scenes that, um, you know, it was it was a you know a ninety minute or two hour thing, and uh, each scene is doesn't have to have a beginning, middle, and end. I mean, they do have them, but they don't need this full sense of completion. And and whereas now the episodes really do have uh really do have that in uh, Widows, so it's um. Yeah, they really, they really do. So it's, um, the challenge is, is making everything feel like it's starting and you have to start and stop something every time. Whereas Baby didn't necessarily have that. And there were also, I was, I had freedom to, um, go more places. And also it's just the moments, the, the, the things that are the most fun are like briefly quoting or referencing like some, some of the, some, some thematic material that was introduced in other shows. Like there's a scene I don't get too far into this, but there's a scene in like early College Baby, where where Professor Ash is talking about growing up in Icarus Falls, which is the name of the town where the the events of wit of Black, the Black Widows occur, and they even reference the main character of of Black Widows, Evelyn Dow, and I just put like her theme in underneath that, which to me was just like the most. I mean, I could pinch myself. It was just like so fun to do that. Um, I also put in. There's also like. Uh, just a reference to a song about the character named Marilla, who's in the Sheriff Death, like Kari Perthium appears in College Baby. Um, and is there anything else? Uh, there are a couple other, maybe one or two other things, but um, more of that is going to happen uh, now in Widows because I've also got, I've got three full shows worth of stuff. So there definitely will be a College Baby theme reference at some point here. Well, there are, actually there is in like episode two of, Wid- of Widows season two. Um, and there'll be another Sheriff Death thing coming up I can think of. And, um, it's just, it's really fun now because there's like, as, as, as just in the sense that writing these stories, they each, they all take place in the same fictional continent, um, over different time periods and, 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 and intersect in some certain ways. And, but I'm able to do that musically as now, well, now as well, which is really fun. 
Um, so what does this all have to do with hockey and the Sabres? Well, I guess I'm saying that it's, it's aside from my sort of brief fan fiction of uh, hockey Tinder, it's just, it's funny to me, or it's interesting to me, because like with this sort of, this is why I could never, as much as I'm, I, I love the idea, I, I like being a manager and my, I do that in my work, day, my work life. I'm a manager at my, my company. Uh, I have people I'm in charge of. I have to make sure they're doing their jobs and whatnot. Um, I hire people. I don't, I'm actually, actually, not actually able to fire people, but um, someday I probably will do that. Um, and I, so I've always, I've always identified with the management aspects of hockey as well, because I, I enjoy thinking about that, putting people in the right place to succeed, um, and trying to find the best fit for everything. But I think, I, I think, I mean, I've said this before, I think, but the, but the thing about hockey and of course anything in real life is that you can't really predict, you know, you don't have a score. You don't have John Williams. There's nothing script, nothing is scripted. So no one can really know, um, what is going to happen. You're all living, th- we're all living through life as it goes along. Um, and things are happening that are outside of one's control, and you have to deal with that. But uh, what's fun about these podcasts is not, I mean, and these, these stories and even these seasons of, of shows is that it's all, it's all under control. And it all can, but if you do it right, it feels like it isn't. It feels like it's just happening. Um, and, and hopefully it, you know that's that's what one notice thinks about um, when listening, but then can you can also see that there's you know there's a lot of work put into it and it's also um, kind of intentional and hopefully interesting. But um, but yeah, I guess I, I I don't know. I mean, um, and of course that's the fun of, of that's the beauty of sports because um, again I mean in, in, in sports I, I I like so much because. Because all of the outcomes of the sort of narrative that 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 there is around a, a sporting event are they're all predictable somehow because you know your team will win or lose. Really, there are only two possible outcomes in any given game, unless this is, this is a sport with ties. But that's just okay. So even then, three fine. But basically, there are two outcomes: win or lose. Um, but the way that you you can have that. Um, you know, there be, there's some sort of bell curve distribution of possible paths to any of those, all of, or, you know, each of those two outcomes. And the sort of, you know, they all, you, you basically can understand as a fan how, how, how likely each of those are, you know, so it's a hockey game, you know, you win three to one. So it's like a close, it's a, it's, let's say it's a one, one game going into the third, fine, a team scores a goal with 10 minutes left. And then, or five, you know, ten or five or ten minutes left in the third period, other team pulls their goalie, score an empty netter, three-one win. Um, of course, but you know, even within that, there are a number of ways you, we could even say that you get to a three-one win. Um, you score three goals in a row, and then you kind of you you just go into a defensive shell and give up. Yeah, the other team gets a garbage time goal, but who cares? Still a three-one win. Um, but both of those are pretty common outcomes in a game, um, or something like that, or you know. Um, you know, but if there if this if the final score is eight to nothing, um, less likely. Um, and but you can basically you can know, you know, um, it it would be pretty crazy if like all eight goals came in the final ten minutes of the game. That would be insane. That doesn't happen very often. Usually, it would be like a pretty even distribution across the length of the game. Or if anything, the goals all come in like the first two periods, and then like nobody cares in the third or whatever. Um, the point of, of this is, you know. 
after a few years as a fan, I think you basically have an understanding of like the likelihood associated or the probabilities associated with every conceivable path to to victory. And so when you see a game like, um, well, you know, for the Sabers, there was the great. I mean, just let's let's just say the um, the year that we beat Ottawa in the playoffs. Um, you know, we lost ten to one earlier in the season. Um, I don't, and then I, I remember there, I was at the over like an overtime win. I think I talked about this with my dad, but I was at an overtime win where uh, Briere scored off a pass from Brian Campbell late. That was in like March of that year, um, and then we almost swept them in the playoffs. And they were the best team in the league. Um, Pominville scored the over, overtime winner, you know, on a shorthanded overtime goal in Game Five. It's crazy. It was like you never thought, I mean, you never really thought the Sabres would win in five games against the big bad Senators that year, but it was cruel. It was cool because the narrative, because like going into the season, no one thought the Sabres would even make the playoffs, let alone be like, a, I think they were a fourth seed, um, beat the Flyers in the first round, beat the Senators in round two. And like, what was cool was that like, none of that seemed likely, you know, the expectations were, were, were not consistent with the results in a good, in a positive way. So everything was, Everything that season was just felt like kind of gravy. Um, the next season was kind of the opposite. It was like, well, for the regular season, they were Sabers were incredible, but then the playoffs were just like a huge buzzkill because it was like you, it was like anything short of a Stanley Cup, at least a Cup final berth, was a disappointment. And of course, that's what ended up happening. And like we barely beat the Islanders in round one, which was like, like come on. Um, and then who are we playing round two? Rangers, and that was a great series, um, but still, it was, like, tough, and then lost to the Senators in a huge disappointment. So, I mean, anyway, sports are, I mean, I think the, what I love about sports is the, um, you know, there's, nevertheless, there's comfort in the in the ultimate predictability of all the outcomes, because even if the outcomes are com- are completely miserable, there, it's never something that you've never, you can't understand, which is, does happen, unfortunately, in life a lot, or can happen in life, and, um, you know, life can, it, in, in regular life, things can happen that seem like it just wasn't, this, how is this even possible? How could this have happened? And that's difficult um, to deal with, or can be. Um, sports offers the antithesis to that, in, some, in a sense, because such things are impossible, Um there are, there are only a set number of outcomes, and there are only so many ways that you can get there in the, the sort of simulation that is sports. Um, you know, so there are similar aspects to that and, say, writing or creating something, but ultimately what I'm doing in these with any, you know, the podcasts, the, the Adam Gordon Show stuff is sort of, you know, it's like an intentional simulation or a, or a it's a simulacrum, simulacrum of a simulation. Um so it's not really one, but it's supposed to feel like one. And if it does feel real, then it can be really good, hopefully. But uh, that's what I'd love to do. Um, and uh, it's what I want to try and do, with, I guess, in, in with somehow with the rest of my life. Um, but, uh, of course, you still, you know, we also have to go to live and go to, our, go to our jobs during the day. And for most of us, our day jobs are not being an athlete or running a sports team or making movies. Um that would be great, and I mean, maybe that will happen someday, but uh, it isn't now, and uh, I don't know. So, how am I doing on time? Thirty-nine minutes. It's a pretty good episode. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it. 
Um, no need to overstay my welcome or over, over just keep myself talking for no reason. Although I do want to say one more thing, which I meant, which happened last week before I went to Maine, uh, for my, my little vacation. Um, and I don't, this, this is, I, this is only still in my mind because I've been talking about film scores, but I just, I, I, I remember at the time when this happened, I thought, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring my mic to, uh, to Maine and do a little recording up there, um, I'm glad I didn't because I it was nice to just focus on on being there and and hanging out and having some eating some lobster, but um and other things. But I don't even and I don't have any point for this little anecdote. But I just I I walked I went to there's a little cafe. Well, no, it's not really a cafe. It's just like a it's a little, it's just like a little restaurant in the in the ground floor from the building in where I work. But I swear they were playing the American Beauty soundtrack when I went in the other day. It was definitely Thomas Newman, and if you know. If you if you're familiar with the American Beauty soundtrack or any Thomas Newman, it's like it's very often just a sort of like a rhythmic marimba and then like orchestral pulse pulses, and it's 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 like this sort of beautifully off-putting music, and uh, I didn't I have no idea why they were they chose that to play in this little like because it's it's like eight forty-five in the morning. So people are just like getting loading up on like a you know a coffee and a pastry to go into work. Just like was the weirdest thing imaginable, um, so I don't know. I mean, that just—that's all. I, that's literally all I have to say. Just except that I, um, I do. I, I happen to really like Thomas Newman, and um, oh, and also Randy Newman was just on Mark Maron's podcast, which was really interesting. Um, they didn't even get into scoring that much, but I just Randy, I found him very fascinating. Um, and also, I've been listening to the Natural soundtrack recently because that's also really good. Um, and I'd like to someday. I have an idea for. Um, a baseball, it's really about tanking, but it would be with a baseball team, um, and their tanking attempt. Um, it's a story idea, and I think, I've gone back and forth between how I would like to do it, because for a while I want to do as a short story or novella, for, first short story, then it was novella, then it was like movie script, and now I actually think I'm going to try it as like an epic poem, but I'm not there yet, so someday I'll write it maybe, but, uh, but I think that would be fun because now that again we're it's we're in that time of baseball season where it's like, I just I, I think it just it's just it's gotten its hooks fully into me and I'm just like this is great, and uh, I want to write I'd love to create something that com- that mo- mo- memorializes like these feelings, because um, again like we're baseball season is so long, and the o- the lo- the overarching again sort of narrative arcs that that come out of it are can be so rewarding by the end because you've sat through almost nearly 200 games potentially if you make it to the world series and have a long playoffs um it's so many games if you know but you you might you ever you know you get there every year and somebody wins every year so no matter what someone there's a sort of inevitable poll and yet it's also so elusive um which is also which is really true of all sports but um but baseball is just interesting because Somebody was talking about this, how, how baseball is the optimal or ideal sport for statistical tracking, particularly advanced stats, you know, Moneyball stuff, because every baseball, obviously it's not timed, but every event that happens within it begins in, under the same conditions. Um, it's a series of repeated things and then with different outcomes, all predictable, but you can statistically track them uh, much better than, say, hockey or basketball or football. Football might be might be a second because it's it starts and stops 
but basketball and hockey are just like constant. I mean, people do track them, and of course, this you know analytics, which is really no different than statistics, but um, or any other stats, statistical tracking that has ever been done. But uh, but yeah, baseball is just it's 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 you know, it's just it's it's very interesting to me, and I, I like it more and more now that I live here in New York, even though the Mets are garbage. But my backs are doing well. I haven't talked about the backs in a while, but maybe I'll get into that some more as they keep going, but, uh, they're looking good. They think they're going to win. They're playing right now. I haven't checked the score, but, uh, all right. Well, you know what? Yeah, this has been, this is good. Um, glad to get back. Um, Sabres, I probably, I don't know, maybe we'll do another one or I'll do another one probably in like maybe a week or so, two weeks. Um, I doubt there'll be any more Sabres news, but I'm just going to keep doing these and talking about stuff. And I'll have also, I mean, I'll definitely have an Adam, the Adam and Gordon show. We'll probably post before, I do another one of these, so that'll be fun. Maybe I'll have Adam back on and we can talk about some stuff. Um, again, we'll see. So thanks for listening to episode uh, 14, The Drunken ba- Baker's Dozen. Bye.
just talk to me, baby Say your eyes could go crazy Tell me I could be your baby too Shoot. 